Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second part of our full episode with Sloan Colt from Data Rails, where we will get to know more about what is FPNA and the intersections with Treasury. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is FPNA, how could AI be used in cash flow forecasting, and how cash flow forecasting intersects with FPNA. Can AI facilitate better collaboration or integration between these two functions? What are the best practices or tips for implementing AI-driven cash flow forecasting in FPNA and Treasury? And like always, much, much more. We were looking forward to this series of episodes as this is the first time we get to talk about FPNA on this podcast. Financial planning and analysis has lots in common with Treasury, but also interdependencies and of course, synergies. And it was really refreshing to explore this with Sloan. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you enjoyed the episode, of course, it only takes five seconds. We'll help others learn more about Treasury, and this will mean the world to us. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is empowering treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solutions. They believe treasury and finance can lead your organization strategically, drive innovation, and provide key insights. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the treasury industry. For this specific partnership, they came up with an automation scan that can help you see if there are automation opportunities in your internal processes. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 10 minutes. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or head to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101. With all that being said, please welcome Sloan Colt. So, Swan, take us into um, AI for cash flow forecasting specifically. So, how can you use AI for cash flow forecasting? What would be the pros and cons? Yeah, so again, we'd be using, uh, most likely, be using machine learning for forecasting. So, basically, where AI is analyzing your data, it's identifying patterns, and then it's using statistical models to basically create a forecast for you. So, there's the pro to this is you are First of all, going to get a fast answer, right? To you know whatever it is that you're looking for, you want a very quick, you know, one of those things like just trying to get the direction and make sure that that we see what we see. Um, it'll also help you catch if there's patterns in your data that that you're not aware of, right? Because you can't possibly look at everything. Uh, unfortunately, I I think most people probably don't want to look at every line of transaction. But <laughs> I have to guess, uh, I certainly don't. Um, so that that's definitely a pro to it. And then the con of it is that the these models are never going to fully understand what's going on in your business. When you're doing forecasts, you have to understand what business changes are happening, right? And, and while you can build that into some of your predictive um, models, it's probably not enough and probably misses some of the nuances. So you you, I I personally think that it's very very important to have. Uh, the, the treasury, the human uh, intervention and finance and treasury intervention there um, because you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, oh yeah, but we have 
love, you know, initiative that's going to happen. Uh, and that is going to end up being something that's going to drastically, potentially drastically change those results. Uh, you have a new product line, you have um, a discontinued product line, you decided to change your payment terms. I mean, those are big things that, that can have a big impact on your forecast. Um, and also maybe there's even economic headwinds, right? Like all of a sudden we get into a harder economic situation, your DSO is starting to climb, people are starting to get a little nervous. That changes that forecast a little bit, right? Um, so you can change some of those assumptions in predictive models, but usually you need that human oversight to make sure that it's capturing all the right things. And, and uh, also you want to make sure that, you know, you're doing a, a sanity check on it because it might tell you something crazy. Uh, and you want to make sure, like, uh, is that actually crazy or did I miss something big? So what, what's the advantage? You went through a lot of watch outs about using uh, AI and cash for forecasting. Sounds like I just shouldn't. It sounds like a headache. Why should I use it? No, you absolutely should because it'll help you understand patterns that you can't see, right? And then, like I said, you can't you can't look at every transaction yourself. You can't look at every single, you know, uh, payment, every single cash receipt, every single. I mean, even you want to look at like investing. If you have cash reserves and you're thinking about what to do with that, you're making a lot, a lot, a lot of decisions. So you want to use the data that you have to help support your decisions. Uh, it's it's actually uh, an, an incredibly useful tool. Um, it's you just have to use it, re, you know, responsibly, right? Don't. And I think this is true of data in general, regardless of whether you're using AI or not. Don't be data blind. Don't be AI blind. Make sure that when you're looking at the results, when you're looking at the data, that you understand that the the pieces have been set up correctly, that uh, you understand the right assumptions. Um, and that you know your business well enough to interpret the results. So there's absolutely huge benefits to utilizing these tools, uh, including being able to, or especially being able to identify patterns that you yourself can't see without diving into crazy analysis that would take you a very, very, very long time to put together. Okay, so it's great for like um, doing pattern analysis and pattern recognition on large data sets. Now, perhaps we take a human, a very lot of effort to do, if not, probably not possible at all for a human to be able to do. That's yes. why you reduce it. But I like when you said there, you shouldn't be, just like you shouldn't be data blind. I think a lot of people can understand that, relate to that, a lot of treasures especially, that yes, data is great, but what's behind the numbers? How do you use the numbers? Uh, let's try and interpret the numbers, sense check the numbers, uh, recognize that all past events do not equal future events uh, and that the future may hold something differently that we may know. It might be an election year. It might be a, a seasonality. It might be something like this that may be coming up. You might be in a city where the Olympics are happening and that's going to be something big uh, that's coming up. Taylor Swift might be coming through and having a concert, <laughs> which is a, is, is a cash flow nightmare, apparently. Uh, <laughs> single-handedly, but she and Beyonce single-handedly saying they're not right. I'm not calling for right. but... exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so God, maybe the AI doesn't know that Taylor Swift is coming into your target uh, market exactly. uh, and influencing exactly. the economy uh, locally. So you should always sense yeah. check it. I like that. Don't be AI blind. I like that. I like that as a phrase. Yeah, 
I think that's a general rule, right? And, and it's not even just that they don't know those specific things. Sometimes the data really doesn't show the full picture. You just can't see it in the data, what is there, because you haven't looked at enough combinations of different types of data together. You know, like you haven't looked at it from enough angles that you missed the, you know, very important thing. Um, the same is going to be, you know, it's even amplified, even more amplified with AI because at the end of the day, what's driving it? Data, right? So, and it's making assumptions based off of patterns that it's recognizing and building, you know, forecasts based off of that. So you have to just, just be careful with it. Uh, great, great tools to help you uh, with your, you know, your productivity, uh, to help you see things that you otherwise couldn't see. Awesome. So um, you've been uh, you've been mentioning at the beginning of the episode that you're not a treasury expert, but you're much more into the FPNA space and um, maybe more insights here in terms of actually knowledge on the topic itself. And we'd like to dive a little bit into this because there are definitely some interdependencies between treasury and FPNA, and that's that's what we are really interested in to exploring. So sure. maybe to begin with, can you? It's corporate treasury 101. We're gonna make it for a very short moment. FPNA 101. Can you explain us what FPNA actually is as an acronym, and then what what does it comprise? Sure. Well, FPNA is actually huge, right? And I think. It's in some companies, depending, you know, the smaller you get, the more likely you are to have the same people who work on treasury and FP&A and maybe also accounting and a million other things, right? As we get into larger and larger companies, we see more of those segregations. Um, FP&A is basically doing the full, uh, with the exception at a large company, right? Usually treasury is going to do the cash flow forecasting. Uh, FP&A at a large company is typically going to be a lot more focused on forecasting and budgeting, target setting for the P&L, uh, and also doing, you know, very intense analysis on results versus budget, actual prior periods, those kinds of things. So it's understanding those different, uh, you know, uh, things that are happening in the business, you know, how well the business is doing or not. It's also a very, very, very crucial strategic lever within the company. So it's about looking at the financials and working with business partners to make sure that the decisions that are being made on the strategy of the company actually sort of make sense within, you know, the financial world, is this actually going to make, is this going to be a good ROI? You know, is this going to get us to where we need to go? Um, and also it's helpful in a lot of cases, FP&A also tends to see a little bit bigger picture because, you know, you don't have just one business partner usually, although sometimes, you know, really big companies, you have one business partner and then it'll roll up, but you're starting to get a view that can see a, a bigger picture of the business uh, and help say, oh, you know, well, they're doing this over here, but this is this other department's doing something that's totally at odds. And, you know, we can we need to figure out how to either marry the two or, you know, change one or the other. Um, absolutely crucial part of, of any business. And even those smaller businesses, you know, everybody ha needs an accountant. No matter what, uh, you need an accountant. There's nothing you can ever do to get around that. You don't have to have a finance person, uh, but you should have someone doing finance. You should be setting budgets. You need to understand what your cash needs are going to be. So this is where we have like a lot of overlap. You know, how are you going to fund your business? You know, if you do have a lot of excess cash, how are you going to handle it? Um, you know, what what type of capital investments can you make? Um, FP&A does have a lot of overlap with treasury in that way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that's that's the indeed that's the interesting part in the sense of so FPNA stands for financial planning and analysis, right? So planning could be like, okay, what is going to happen in the future in terms of finance? But that's typically what you would expect from a treasury department, but probably more on the short-term uh, horizon. Whereas financial planning would be much more, okay, what's the quarterly, semesterly, I'm not sure of my English here, yearly financial planning. And then corporate treasury is in charge of analyzing this at a much more granular level and rolling out throughout the year, right? Like, okay, every two weeks, we're gonna reassess what is coming, uh, going to come out, go in, or the other way around. Uh, but so it's all about planning, forecasting, budgeting. So this is why you are mentioning, okay, maybe bigger companies, you are expecting this to be done by treasury, but financial, uh, sorry, but smaller companies, FP&A departments might be taking over that role and there are some huge overlap here. Even when you are rolling out to bigger companies where you have like interdependencies also in terms of systems because obviously treasury is going to look at the ap and ar system to make sure okay what is coming in what is going up for the cash flow forecasting tool so super interesting here makes a lot of sense yeah and i think that's a, a really good point you raised because i think that, that everything's related right so even in a larger company fp and a and treasury actually you need to work together treasury can't do anything if they don't know what's going on with the business right like you're flying blind so how do you know what how much cash you need to have at a given time if you don't know, you know that there's going to be a huge capital expense and then you're like, ah, you know, I could buy a few T-bills or whatever it is that you want to do with, you know, your investments. And so it's very, very important for pretty schemes to be talking together um, and just have a like, you know, very good idea of what everybody's doing. Um, the business shouldn't be making big plans without including treasury analysis and forecasting, um, but absolutely treasury as it tends to be more focused on the short-term cash needs uh, and, and cash plans, although investments are certainly, you know, that falls squarely in like the treasury piece. In my experience, again, limited, but uh, the companies that I've ever worked for treasury, you know, owned all the excess cash, uh, which I always thought was very, very cool, uh, but did not get involved in uh, that, you know, being able to handle the, you know, what the, what decisions to make. And, and by the way, AI can help with all of that too, right? Because again, you're doing your forecasting, AI can help you with understanding what investments might be good as well. Uh, I'm going to say that's a little trickier, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of, uh, a, a, there are a lot of tools that are coming out to help with making decisions on investments and, you know, what makes sense with, you know, your money. So a lot of really cool things coming out there. Awesome. Super cool. So, I mean, and you set up quite nicely because one thing I wanted to know was like, now, we've talked about AI, we've talked about cash flow forecasting, talked about FP&A, we always talk about treasury. Marry those together for us. Like, so where's the intersection between um, the applications of AI and cash flow forecasting for FP&A and treasury? Like, what AI model could a company employ which would be relevant for both FP&A and treasury to collaborate better or to work together? better yeah i don't think it would be a specific model i think you would have uh everybody's going to use a, a model that makes sense for their particular situation in their business or proprietary tools that have been set up with specific models um i think that you can share a lot of the technology and just again uh, the level of granularity is probably different fpna when they're looking at cash 
they're probably looking at it from a much bigger, further away, you know, uh, microscope. That's not the right word. Uh, <laughs> they're looking at it from a, you know, just from a much different, a much bigger vantage point. Whereas the cash, uh, you know, the cash management, the treasury management is really about focusing on that, you know, understanding the details. You really, really have to understand the details. And I think in some ways the treasury uh, becomes, right, it's like a little bit of, you have that business partnership, right? And, and treasury is another business partner. So FP&A has to support in terms of, again, uh, it, you know, letting people know what needs to be put in their models, right? Here, here is the human element. Here is what needs to happen in your forecasting. As you look forward at cash, here's what we want to do. And we do it, right? Like, is there a way for us to get there? So, uh, and Treasury needs to be able to take the, the what's happening in the business and make sure that there's a plan that happen in the bank or not, you know, whatever the, whatever the plan may be. Um, so I think, you know, absolutely crucial to work together in terms of AI, the tools that are going to be utilized are extremely similar at all, uh, even though the level of granularity is probably different. It's sort of clear. What about like um, a, a really good intersection is the AP and AR departments, right? I guess between the FP&E and Treasury. Uh, what yeah. AIs are, how does AI help there? So you mentioned a little bit optic, sorry, uh, being able to read things and like the, the visual aspects of AI, uh, being able to yeah. read documents and whatnot. So how else? Computer vision, super, super, super cool. Um, not relevant for FP&A, I think too much, although I guess I can envision something kind of interesting where you're doing some sort of analysis by looking at all your invoices that you ever got or something like that. There could be something in that. Um, I'm not aware of anybody using that today, but I think for, for AP in particular, uh, using AI is such a slam dunk. Uh, I've seen it utilized, you know, companies in this, this technology is not, not that new. Like it's, and actually none of the technology we're talking about is that new. Um, it's just gotten a lot of, so that's an interesting thing to talk about. So, uh, even chat GPT, the technology has been around for a real time. They happen to do an incredibly great job with what they put out there, but the technology, they, there were, there was no fundamental breakthrough that the breakthrough had actually been, uh, a few years earlier. Uh, I think that Google is the, the company that introduced transformers. Um, which is basically what a lot of these LLMs are uh, large language models, uh, the, the natural language processing, uh, AI tools that we talk about, that's where that you know, breakthrough actually came from. But in, in terms of this being new, it's tried and true, but uh, try, try and true, try and true. I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> so the technology has been around. It is. Uh, very reliable. I've seen it with my own eyes, um, operate beautifully. It's not going to catch everything. And if, you know, you have to train these computer vision tools to help you identify, you know, what's going to come through on an invoice. Um, but really any documents that you're receiving from the outside, computer vision can help you work to understand those. If you have you know, invoices that is the perfect example, right? Um, and that's, so it's most true for, for AP. Um, but being able to recognize, pick up your PO immediately, be able to recognize, okay, it's this vendor, it's this SKU, it's, you know, this quantity, this price, and then pull it into your system. And then from there, now, does it match my requisition? Does it match all of the, you know, using those tools to help you along? Um, it, to me, it feels like an, an absolute slam dunk. 
highly recommend that folks look into it if, if it's within their reach. Um, and then it becomes a data source, right? It's, it, you've removed the data entry layer. You've removed a little bit of the human error, but at the same time, there's like computer error. So I don't know where we fall on the, on the, the spectrum there, but I do think what you do is uh, you free up the time to have your AP resources go after and Hey, you know, what's going on? PO, you know, the system can help you do that automatically too. Um, but depending on what systems you're using, but being able to have it have tools so they're not spending their entire day just entering data. At the end of the day, I don't know anybody who really loves doing that. Uh, could be wrong, right? Uh, <laughs> seriously, I want to know. No, gonna stop you here. <laughs> Um, but I think that's, it's one of those things you can kind of start for the most part eliminating from the process is probably, it's not going to be a hundred percent, but it's getting better and better. Um, so computer vision is a huge place where that, uh, flows and all of the data that's being created by AR and AP at the end of the day, this informs what FPNA is doing, right? This is, this is the entire, it's not the entirety. It's, it's a huge portion of what FPNA is looking at when they're trying to understand the variance analysis, like, oh my gosh, we are so over budget here. What the heck happened? What, what's the first thing they do? They dive into the transactions. They start looking at invoices. They start looking at POs. They start looking. That's getting very, very detailed, right? But like, that's a lot of what the FPNA folks are going to do. They're going to start an investigation while work alongside their business partners and be like, wow, you know, we have this thing. Like, how did we get? Like, what's this about? It. You know, I can't. You know, help me understand the context of it. Um, though usually I will say that, that the best FP&A people have their pulse on the business anyway, so they're not often surprised. Everybody is always going to be surprised, they're not often surprised. Um, but so I think this is all like, it's, it's, it's a ballet, right? Like we all sort of have our, our different pieces, AR, AP. FP&A does not exist without right? Because there's nothing to analyze at the end of the day. Inventory movements are, are interesting, but they're not the most important thing. Understanding, okay, we had a huge PPV on this for whatever reason. The, the vendor had a, you know, a huge um, inflation, you know, and it, it, it was totally different than our standard cost. This is what it is. We, you know, we made the choice. We want to stay. We'll, we'll shop for another vendor, but for now we're stuck with it. And those kinds of things. That's a lot. That data is super, super important for uh, FPNA teams to be able to uncover and, and understand. Are FPNA requiring to like live on the pulse of the business? How would you see AI facilitating a better collaboration between Treasury, FPNA, APNAR? The reason I'm asking because throughout our interviews that we had with Sam after more than 150 episodes. One of the things that comes the most is that well, Treasury is still seen as a uh, support function, right? And you also have even very big companies where the different departments are working in silos. Yes, we might have the heads who are reporting to the CFOs. And yeah, so the Treasury is forced somehow to talk with the head of tax and the head of legal and uh, the head of procurement whatsoever. But usually the people underneath, the people managing, using that data, coming up with the reports, are uh, working very much in siloed. Is there an area, an opportunity for AI to facilitate a better co collaboration? We see there are interdependencies. Can AI enhance that? 
Um, I would tell you that an area of AI that would be very interesting to explore where collaborations concerned, and I, I think it's is a general collaboration thing, not necessarily specific to Treasury, although, um, like I said earlier, I think it's very important that FP&A and Treasury work together closely. Um, so that part of that is probably a mindset shift, right? And, and companies need to make specific efforts within their cultures to make sure that they're breaking down the silos and that they have teams working together. At the end of the day, the only, like the company has only has a benefit to get from that. There's no con to the teams collaborating. The more information that everybody has together uh, and the better the, the FP&A team understands the cash environment when they're making rec strategic recommendations, right? Super important, right? So, so it, I, I think that's, that's partially just a change that companies need to actually make a decision on. Um, and, it, and it, unfortunately, it means that the folks in both FP&A, Treasury, uh, controllership need to raise their voices, right? And, and CFOs also need to, you know, make an effort to make sure that all of their teams are communicating well. Um, where AI can help, I think, it, there are some really cool tools, like uh, things that can identify stuff like sentiment analysis. Um, there are some really, really cool tools out there that have, uh, the name's escaping me, but, there, but there's some, it's starting to happen, right? Where uh, people's communications, this is a tricky thing. And this is where we get a little funny with AI and you're making a balance. And, and I know we've had like all these conversations with social media and, and just data privacy in general, but like giving up a little bit of your data privacy in terms of your conversations uh, to AI that can analyze and say, wow, you know, we've got, we've got uh, a, lot of, a lot of bad feelings, right? Uh, the AI can pick up in the tone of how people are communicating. Um, and you can see how often people are communicating, right? So if you want to, as a company, go ahead and make an effort to do that, you actually can use tools to help support you in doing it and say, listen, like we did an analysis, you don't talk to each other, like <laughs> let, let's fix that. Um, and it, it does take a, a bit of bravery, right? Uh, and this is where it gets, this is a comfort level thing. Um, I think the benefits are, are worth it. You have to use partners that you trust with the data that they're not going to do anything more than the sentiment analysis, all of that stuff, right? And most of the companies that are starting to put tools out there that will do this type of analysis for you, um, they only go up to a certain level. We're only going to identify up to, you know, there's good feelings, bad feelings, whatever. They're not going to get into the nitty gritty. They're not going to be understanding, you know, they have limits on what they're picking up on. So some really, really cool tools out there that can absolutely help with uh, collaboration in general. And then I think also as a matter of process, if you're using your models together, right? If, you know, FP&A is doing their predictive analytics, they should be working with their treasury team as well uh, to make sure that those things are married together. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, the ethics of AI is something that I guess we haven't touched on uh, with you or, or in previous uh, conversations that we've had with some partners and also our, our AI newsletter as well. It's, a, it's something that's a very touchy topic overall. Um, I think it's something that people are still figuring out. I think ethics is something you kind of figure out as society perhaps. And as AI becomes more mainstream, I think society will start getting towards what the right ethics for it are. But even if you just look internally in terms of privacy, um, that convincing your employees that, oh, don't worry, we're not Yes, you designed this waiver that says, yes, we're going to be watching everything that you say, uh, but it's only going to be the sentiment of what you say. And so, and then there's someone going, well, if I say something bad about my boss, is that 
negative sentiment <laughs> on my Slack chats or my Microsoft team chats. And then it become, it, it's a touchy and slippery slope towards a bit of an authoritarian uh, company say, governing. Yeah, I, I totally hear where you're coming from. I think you have to have the right culture for that to work. So if you have a culture with high psychological safety, where it's not like people are monitoring you, this is like a, a bigger thing. And again, I think that the tools that are out there, they're being utilized only up to a certain extent. So it's not like they're going, they're not going wild and for this reason. Um, I'm gonna also say that I don't know the percentage, but companies are monitoring their employees anyway. Um, and I would say that they're monitoring them for, I'm gonna, I'll say not productive reasons. To me, that's not productive. Like, I, you know, I, I get why companies do it. Um, I think this is this is one of the things where you can say, hey, like we have some data, we're trying to understand this is a problem we wanna fix. It's not an individual, you know, problem. It's a company problem and we recognize that we wanna make a change. Um, so having the right company culture in general, by the way, in terms of collaboration, having high psychological safety is gonna help that. Um, you want to make sure that people feel comfortable and safe talking to each other. So I would, you know, it's, it's absolutely a big thing. And, and as far as AI ethics is concerned, there are a ton of organizations that are trying to address this. It's not an easy answer. And depending on the, the topic you're talking about with AI may also have a very different thing. Um, a, a very different, you know, outcome in terms of what's ethical versus not. Um, I don't think we know anything. There's not a single thing that we know on the planet that is black or white from an ethical standpoint anyway. AI just happens to be extra fuzzy right now because it's new to so many people's consciousness. Yeah. And so the, actually, so you mentioned about sentiments. We did a piece uh, from our Upper Treasure One role and newsletter about a company called Owlin actually that does market sentiment analysis, but of counterparty. So, mm -hmm. That's also because because you mentioned sentiment analysis, right? And I remember yeah. uh, when reading it and saying that they what they do is, um, and we're not sponsored by Allen or anything like this. Just very interesting use case uh, where they were actually scouring the internet for sentiment analysis to understand. Okay, if my major banking provider with which I hold eighty percent of my cash, probably not a good idea, but I hold eighty percent of my cash uh, in the market. What is their sentiment? Are they favored? Are they heading towards trouble? Et cetera, et cetera. And again, it goes back to those very large data sets and very large amounts of patterns or very complex patterns that perhaps humans, maybe you could say we have a vibe, but putting data behind it and having everything like this sort of quantifies the vibe of the market about your counterparty. That's a good way to put it. It quantifies vibe. That's a, that's a great uh, idea. Of <laughs> what is AI doing with sentiment? I love that. Um, yeah, I think the sentiment tools are, are extremely, are going to become uh, even more and more uh, important as you look at what to do with your excess cash, that those types of decisions. Um, where you put that money matters, right? You don't want to be in a situation where you have Again, not a treasury person. I would never put 80% of my money into anything. Uh, <laughs> unless I was really, really sure, but last I checked, I couldn't tell the future. Um, so I think that definitely having more data to support the decisions you're making and understanding what direction things are going, uh, will absolutely help, um, market sentiment is absolutely where investments are concerned. And again, like this, everything we talk about in treasury is applicable outside 
Um, and I think that's because if you think about it, we're all, every single one of us is a mini, mini treasury department, right? Like we all make decisions about our own in our own personal lives. Um, I think that these types of tools are going to be more and more important to us uh, all as we just move on. There's only so much data, again, going back to it, it's like a broken record a little bit, but there's only so much data that a person can You want to utilize tools to help you work through it and identify those patterns and make decisions on it. Another application of AI I see when it comes to facilitating the collaboration between the different departments is a section of generative AI, actually. Like, I think we covered in wonderful newsletter, maybe, or... We did not, like I said, don't remember, we talked about a treasury policy chatbot. And instead of having somebody going to the folders of the company trying to find trying to find the right folder in the intranet and then putting out the 150 pages treasury policy and finding the right section. Rather than that, you just say, hey, what's the policy when it, policy when it comes to FX exposure in Latin America on this specific currency whatsoever? And then you all of a sudden have your input, right? But that could potentially work between departments as well. Like an FPNA uh, analyst could go and now ask the question about that specific treasury policy aspect that would be so hard to get before that. Oh, okay, I understand how they think there. And the other way that we around as well, I'm not too sure of what's going on in FPNA departments, but that's the perfect example. Like we could definitely ask a chatbot about a practice, a procedure, an SOP, whatever it is. Like, okay, how does it work there? And we would have the answer right away, allowing us for better understanding, okay, that's how they work. And it's actually, they're not being how to say this in a polite manner, uh, difficult. They are just playing the policy that is the guideline of the group, right? And aligned with the strategy. So that could be an interesting way of rising between departments. I love that idea. Um, also, I would just say that in general, I think like having policy accessible via chatbot is a brilliant idea. Um, every company who has an intranet or the, the thing with this is you have to have a company that has enough data that you can train your chatbot, right? Mm -hmm. What does it have to consume to be able to know the answer to that question? Um, but if you have a if you have a good internet, if you have a 150 page policy, oh my gosh, slam dunk, absolutely utilize that. It's it's uh, probably simpler to implement than most people think. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of tools out there. Uh, I'm going to name specifics, but I've only dealt with building our own here at DataRails and not using other other people's tools. Uh, but you, there, especially if you have a core fit to work with, um, it should be pretty simple to most companies, especially most larger companies, to set up a chatbot that's easy uh, for people to to work with. Absolutely, love it. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, so Kim and I, in our previous lives, both have a lot of experience in uh, implementing tools, not AI tools necessarily, although a couple of ones here and there, but. Um, mainly around like the process of implementation, the human challenges that come with that. I think we've touched on quite a lot already, having psychological safety, et cetera, like this. Um, but then implementation, you know, there's huge consulting fields just around implementation because it, it's just so difficult a lot of the time to bring change to any department. What do you have any best practices or tips for implementing AI driven? Uh, models and I think data rails is, is primarily in the cash flow forecasting area uh, into FPNE and treasury department specifically or just generally like what's the implementation to the treasurer's listening to this right now what's your best tips for implementing these kind of tools 
Okay, so first off, the first thing I want to say that the, the biggest obstacle that you're going to get in your change management when it comes to implementing new tools, especially when it comes to AI, uh, people get very nervous that their jobs are going away. I, I think there are probably some people out there that think that, although I think that's probably less and less. So it's becoming obvious that's so not true, but uh, my opinion is that that's not, it, it, it is not going to have an impact on, at least in these applications. I don't want to speak for anything outside of these applications since that's outside of my purview. Um, but within the, the finance over, uh, in, the, in the finance purview, at least with the current technology, what I see is that jobs are going to be changing. So it's very important to prepare your workforces for the fact that things are going to be changing. Get comfortable with AI. I highly encourage people to just play with things. Uh, just get your hands in there. Just a little chat GPT or mid-journey, whatever. Play with it. Feel a little comfortable with it. No proprietary data, um, but play with it. <laughs> and get yourself comfortable with it. You'll see quickly that it's super cool and that it's also not going to take over the world, at least not that I can see in the, in the near future, okay? It can't do your job for you. It needs your so uh, to me, AI is actually useless without the people there to make sure, again, you want to check that the data is there. You want to make sure the assumptions are right. You have to understand those higher level strategic decisions that are being made and the AI is not going to be able to do that. So the first thing that I would say, the first bit of advice, if you want to implement AI in your company, get folks in your company to feel comfortable with it. Don't tell them they're not going to lose their jobs because they will not believe you. Right? Even if you have crazy psychological safety, that's just not, it's like that reverse psychology thing. Work with them and say, hey, here's how we envision it, right? We want to do X, Y, Z thing. And we need your help because we need you to validate the models. We need you to help us work through the different pieces. Uh, we need you to step up. Uh, and, and this is a conversation that happens a lot on the FPNA side where I'm like, how long is your to-do list? And you never, ever, ever get through it. AI is going to start helping you spend less time on those things that are just at the end of the day, busy admin work and focus on the places where you're actually going to add value, right? And that's super exciting. So get people excited about the work they're not going to do. Uh, we talked about data entry, right? And that's something, I mean, yes, a lot of people do it. Let's get them working on something more interesting. Right. I think most people who are doing data entry, you know, it's fine, but I don't think they're the most, like, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Like I said, write to me if, if you disagree, but I think most people that are doing data entry, it's not their favorite thing in the world. Um, and we can have them working on more interesting things and helping, helping the business look at it from different directions. So that's the first step that I would take. This is an extra hurdle that you have to take with AI that you don't have to necessarily take with other tools. Um, good change management is always about making sure that your team feels heard, that they, you know, if you roll in and you're like, Hey, like we're just doing this, you know, people resist, uh, and depends also on your culture. Some cultures are, are very into, you know, change and progress and they're into innovation and other, other companies are very, very slow and it's, you know. So make your adjustments based on your culture. The slower the, the culture is, the longer you're going to have to take to get people comfortable with the changes that you're going to make. And at the end of the day, you want to empower your teams, right? Get them involved, help them think about ideas. 
how can we use AI to help us, right? We want it to make, we want to make this a tool that's going to, you know, help your day out, make your life more interesting. And at the end of the day, provide more value to the company. Um, so that, that would be my, you know, advice where AI specifically is concerned.